You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. We're going to start in Colossians intentionally tonight. I got a lot of ground to cover and I want to try to get as much covered as I can. So we'll be in Colossians 3. I want to take advantage of the opportunity being in Colossians 3 to talk about a subject that some of you don't know much about perhaps, but uh, I'll tell you one thing, our young people, whether they know a lot about it or not, they need to learn about it because it's something they're going to be encountering. Uh, on a uh, regular basis, especially if they, they go off, depending on going off to university and so forth. Now I'll put this stuff away. All right. So Colossians 3, and I just want to read verse 11 for now. The Bible says in Colossians 3, verse number 11, as you see it up on the screen, where there is neither Jew where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. So tonight I am going to be preaching, teaching as CRT, preaching about CRT and the Bible. Uh, CRT being just the short for critical race theory. Uh, I thought about entitling it uh, CRT. G-O-D, amen, because uh, that would be appropriate as well. Uh, so just bear with me for those of you that are wondering what I just said, okay, and I'm going to become self-explanatory in a little bit, but the Bible addresses an issue that has been a problem since there have been people with differences, and that issue is partiality. Now, we commonly refer to a certain type of partiality. We, we refer to racism. We talk about that a lot in our country. But what we call racism is a form of partiality, but it's a, it, I would say that's too narrow of a distinction because we act as if uh, racism, quote-unquote, is the, the main issue, but from a biblical standpoint... It's partiality. From a biblical perspective, it's partiality. Racism is a bit of a misnomer. In other words, what it's called doesn't really describe exactly what it is. Because from a biblical standpoint, and therefore from a scientific standpoint, when we talk about race, both biblically, where the Bible says, for instance, in many places, but I could just use Acts 17, 26, the Bible says that God hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth. Biblically speaking, scientifically speaking, there's not many races. There's one race. There's the human race. Uh, There's very, I mean, I'm talking about a microscopic difference between us and any other quote-unquote race on the earth. You know, it's funny how that we describe people as being white and black. 
but did you know that, uh, I'm not going to get too much on this, but it really is interesting that uh, we think of ourselves, I suppose, as white people. Uh, but if you actually take a good look at me, the shirt I'm wearing has white in it, and you can distinguish my hand from my shirt tonight. You know why? Because I'm not white. I'm really, really light brown. I'm, and I'm being serious. I don't have as much melanin in my skin as some other uh, people may, but there's, the, the point is, is there's one race. Now, partiality includes people dividing on the basis of skin color, but it also includes gender, uh, being partial toward a certain gender, socioeconomic level, uh, so whether how much money you got or your standing, education, there's a lot uh, that, that falls under the category of partiality. Um, and, and again, that includes race, but it's, it's much broader than race. I say that, for instance, because uh, in recent decades, this is illustrated over and over again, but it's the same way throughout history. Uh, if you remember what took place, what was that, 25, 30 years ago in Rwanda, for instance, uh, you think about uh, you know, the, 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 uh, some of the other uh, ethnic cleansings that have taken place and that take place regularly in the world. These people aren't different skin colors. These people don't look a bit different at all. But it's their ethnicity. They are, uh, because of their ethnic background, they're showing partiality and, of course, to the point of persecution and death. Uh, in the Bible, the Bible, the Bible addresses this. The verse that we just read is emphasizing the fact that in Christ there's neither Jew nor Greek. And that's just a way of saying whether it's Jews or Gentiles, no matter where it is, we're all one in Christ. He has to emphasize this a few times. Uh, can anybody think of a place in the New Testament to where uh, a sinful heart uh, was exposed in the heart of one of the apostles to where another apostle had to correct him for showing partiality. Peter. Peter, uh, he was with the Gentiles, and it wasn't about skin color or anything, but it was just about the fact that they weren't Jews. And as a result of that, he got caught up with some people that were saying, well, us Jews, we're better than these Gentiles. And Peter got caught up in that. And they, they would sit together. It was only the Jews would sit over here and the Gentiles, and they would eat together, and they were kind of the, the, the main people, the important ones. But Paul came along and rebuked Peter for showing partiality. Uh, uh, think about this. God corrected Miriam when she objected to Moses marrying the Ethiopian woman. See, God judges sin, including the sin of partiality. This partiality is, is a root in the heart of man. And it's manifested itself throughout history. Again, since there's been differences of people, it's not just skin color. You've lived your life, you've known this. If you, if you, grow up, if you grew up poorer, uh, you know, again, you know that you weren't treated the same way and maybe you weren't invited into the group with the kids, you know, with me wearing my cougars and my whatever else. And, I mean, uh, listen, look the way I look. Some of, I don't know if anybody remembers cougars or not, but they were just an off-brand shoe uh, that uh, were, they were not cool. It was a good way to get beat up wearing cougars. Uh, but I owned a pair of cougars. Well, those cougars did not get me into the inner circle of the popular kids. I'll tell you that much, all right? Uh, but so, uh, just and, and again, we, we've seen especially throughout history, right, men showing partiality. If it's a woman, they don't give her as much importance or uh, you know, 
see that going on throughout the world still today. Partiality is a root of sin in the heart of man. Every person. And it's manifested itself through history. Now, tonight, I'm going to try to present with the time that I have, the best that I can, two opposing sets of framework, if you will, to deal with this issue. Uh, one, One solution is the gospel. One solution is Christ and the Bible. I'm not going to tell you which one I'm going to be pushing tonight. Uh, but one solution is Christ and the Bible. Uh, the other is the solution uh, that, that I'm dealing with tonight that's known as critical race theory, or uh, CRT. And then I also uh, show, uh, throw into that intersectionality. And again, bear with me. There are some of you sitting there thinking, wondering if I just spoke English or not. But, but, but let me ask you this, I suppose. Um, have you ever heard of... How many in here has ever heard of critical race theory? All right, Intersection, intersectionality. How about that one, okay? Um, how about this one? Here's some more that you might be familiar with. Um, woke. Woke. All right. White privilege. White guilt. Um, social justice. That's one, that's, that becomes a buzzword. That's one of these that's got into the church or, you know, some churches. Uh, and then how about Black Lives Matter? You ever heard of that? Now, I'm talking about as an organization. We, of course, believe that Black Lives Matter. We believe that each life uh, matters. But as far as the organization is concerned, well, if you've heard of those things, then you are familiar somewhat with CRT. CRT, and if you'll just let me call it CRT, sometimes I may say, say CRT slash I. And I'm just talking about CRT, critical race theory and intersectionality. Okay, they, they kind of go together. It's a dangerous intellectual movement affecting America. Its influence extends from academia into society, in government, and has made inroads into major denominations in Christian universities. Uh, if you follow the world today, it, 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 it would blow your mind if you knew the amount. And I'm talking about evangelical people. And we're not evangelical. We're, we're Bible-believing Christians. But by the, by, by the world standards, we fall into that category just from the standpoint that they classify anybody that preaches the Bible. You must be born again and that stuff. They put under that big umbrella. But I'm talking about, uh, for the, like the Southern Baptist Convention, for instance, uh, just recently adopted some tenets of CRT in their framework to help deal with the issue of race. Now, my point tonight is this. God's already given us some framework to deal with the issue of race, if you will, race, uh, and discrimination, and these things. But uh, Christian, uh, the, I mean, I'm, and I'm talking, some of them I want to say Christians, put in parentheses, but I'm talking about there's some, pretty guys, there's some guys that I think there are some pretty awesome preachers that have embraced this stuff. And I don't think that's awesome. But I'm saying uh, it might surprise you if you knew the level of people who were embracing uh, this. So, one, okay, so we're talking about these two different, two different things. Okay, God has two different, let's say God has one way. There's two different ways that I want to present tonight that deals with the issue of partiality. And again, if you want to say racism, but again, it goes beyond racism. There's two uh, arguments that I want to present to you tonight, I suppose. One, and when we think about one, one finds its roots in the heart of a loving creator. The other has its roots in the cold, bitter, anti-God soul of Karl Marx. 
One leads to forgiveness, redemption, unity, and acceptance. The other leads to division, hate, and revenge. One's goal is elevation, the other's is overthrow. One's authority is based on absolute truth. The other is based on your truth and these other truths. And really, I I should say, uh, I look around here tonight, it's not based on your truth. I'll just tell you that right now. It's based on the truth on those who are considered under intersect, who intersect the most, who are the most oppressed and the most fall under these categories. That's who holds the most truth. But then the next person holds truth. There's truths. And I put that in quotes because, you know, it's just the whole thing. People that say they don't believe it. You, you can say you don't believe in gravity, but it doesn't, make, it doesn't change anything, right? Uh, truth. But there's, one's based on absolute truth. One's based on relative truth. Uh, like all, others, the, all other sins of man, the answer is found to this partiality. And if you want to say racism is found in Jesus Christ through His atoning death and transforming gospel. Like all other sin, partiality will not be eradicated until Jesus returns. Okay? We, do we not believe that Jesus has the answer for a person that has an adulterous and lustful heart? We believe that, don't we? It doesn't mean, though, that every lustful, and, and lustful heart and, and adulterous heart has been eradicated, does it? I mean, and, and so whatever the sin is, just like any sin, it will not be eradicated until Jesus returns. However, Christ transforming truth and power can and does eradicate partiality, the practice of partiality among his followers. So we read the verse in Colossians 3.11. I'm going to read Galatians 3.28. The Bible says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2, I'm going to go there and just, we're going to take a quick walk through Ephesians 2, um, but I encourage you to study this because this is a, this is a pretty big statement on the issue of partiality. Ephesians 2.11, wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made with hands. (laughs) Okay. Jews were the circumcision. That's what they were called. But this is cool. You, you You can see parallels here. The Jews called the Gentiles derogatory names. There was name-calling, the uncircumcision. As a matter of fact, sometimes they would call them Gentile dogs. That's what they would call the Gentiles. Now, Paul is saying right here, you were once called that. And so, so one group called one people one thing, one group called people the other thing. All right? That's the background. But here's what he's now saying. He says, now you're in the same church. Now you're both saved. See, it's interesting too when you think about it because the Jews, they were a privileged people, religiously speaking. They seemed to have the upper hand, uh, spiritually speaking. And so they were partial toward other people and thought they were better than them spiritually because they weren't Jews. 
If they were a Gentile, a non-Jew, they thought they were better. But, but I want to tell you, within the society that they lived in, Jews uh, were not considered to be privileged compared to people who were Roman citizens. A Roman citizen was the ultimate privilege of this day, which of course was a Gentile. But the point is, Paul is saying, I know your background. I know y'all have called each other names. Um, I know there's a lot of issues. I know all that. But he says this, I'm going to tell you how we're going to move forward from here. He says to call the, uh, the uncircumcision by the, by the so-called circumcision. In other words, he says this. Notice in verse 13 now, sorry. Um, got a little tripped over my words there. Verse 13 of chapter 2. Uh, oh boy, that's Colossians. Good gracious. Okay, I got it here in my Bible. Okay, remember. So if I get off here, it's uh, because I didn't put everything right. It might be at the end of uh, verse 13. But it says this. Remember that ye were at times separated from Christ excluded from the commonwealth. But here's the big word beginning at verse 13. That may have been 12 I was just giving you there. Uh, I just got these in my notes. But at the beginning of verse 13, the Bible says, but now, but now. He's saying, I know how it was. But now, he's saying there's something different. He's saying now, but now, he's going to give a Christ, a Christocentric principle and precept, if you will, centered on Christ. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Verse 14, for he is our peace who hath made both one. Both what? Jews and Gentiles. Whatever other kind of race, white and black and Chinese, whatever you want to say, He's made one. In Christ, we're one. We're together in Him. We have been made one in Him. There's no partiality. These are my brothers. These are people that I care about. Uh, the wall has been torn down in Christ. Ephesians 2.15, For to make Himself of twain one new man, so making peace. See, Jesus has peace for racism, for partiality. If you skip down to verse number 16, the Bible says, and that he might reconcile, bring together parties that were once at variance, both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. Verse 17, and came and preached peace to you who were far off. Ephesians 2, 18, for through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. And I mean, you can read verse 19, verse 22, again and again, he's saying together, 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 in Christ, together. It doesn't matter your background. It certainly doesn't matter the color of your skin or anything else of that nature. We're one in Christ. Not one is better than the other. Man, we're in Christ. We are both elevated in Him, is what he's saying there. We're brought together, we're made one in Him. And, what we've, and, and the reason that I'm addressing this tonight is, well, there's a couple of things. Ephesians 5.11 says this, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. So it's one thing for us to say there's an ideology, there's a philosophy that is actually making inroads into uh, the church, if you will, or into churches, 
It's already made its inroads into uh, our society in many ways. And so it doesn't just say, don't have nothing to do with it, but it also says, reprove them. Say, you know what, point this out, call it what it is, and that's what we're trying to do tonight. How about Colossians 2 verse 8? We went over that, uh, you know, a while back, but the Bible says, Beware lest any man spoil you through what? Philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. What we've got to do, folks, is filter whatever it is we're hearing, whatever it is that we're learning, whether it's in school, whatever kind of media, just in life, our thoughts, we've got to filter everything through the Word of God. The Bible says in, in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5, "...casting down imaginations." and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Now, before I say what I'm saying here tonight, I want, to try to, I want you to allow me to say just for a moment what I'm not saying. Okay, I'm not saying that partiality, and again, just racism, just for our purposes, is fixed. It's far from it. I think that's pretty clear, and I think maybe I already made that clear. Uh, I'm not saying that everyone who supports or promotes CRT, intersectionality, are wrong, listen, in their motives. In their motives. I'm not, I, I don't believe that they're all wrong in their motives. But uh, Miki Addison, uh, she, uh, uh, she, uh, an example that she gave about this, speaking about motives, she's, she was talking about CRT, intersexuality. She's a, a black Christian woman uh, that's on the radio. I love listening to her. But uh, she said that, uh, that CRT, intersectionality, has become a Frankenstein of good intentions. Maybe people with good intentions, but all of a sudden, it's alive. And it's going to destroy the village, right? That's what she called that. Okay? Uh, I'm not saying that CRT hasn't done any good. And again, you're still saying, what is CRT? But I guess I'll get to that in just a second. Uh, This goes to intersectionality, okay? Uh, I'm not saying that there isn't vital insight from those who have been oppressed and suffered partiality. You know, because that's one of the things about intersectionality, intersectionality uh, that, that CRT and, and that teaches is that the more oppressed you've been, the more of a voice you have. And it says that you really actually are able to speak the truth uh, because you have been oppressed. And so the more oppressed you are, you know, for instance, even, even right here tonight, we have a group of oppressed people here tonight under this category, women. Okay, so you have and know a truth that us men, based on this theory, could never know or understand. Now, if you were a a woman of a different quote-unquote race, well, then you would have another intersection there. And then if you was a woman of another race that decided you were going to be trans, you would have another intersection there. And so the more these things intersect, the more knowledge you have. And people that don't experience that, they are incapable of having the knowledge, the supreme knowledge that you have. Now, that's the extreme of it. But it's easy to say that, you know, if I'm going to learn about something, I want to learn about people from experience. And so, for instance, 
uh, for whatever it's worth. But when I set about to do this study and to do my research, uh, virtually all of my research I collected from people like Abraham Hamilton III. Anybody know Abraham Hamilton III? Uh, man, you need to listen to that guy. Uh, Tony Evans. Heard of Tony Evans? Um, Tony Evans is a, is, is a black uh, preacher, pastors a great a, a big church down in Texas. Uh, but here's some things. I'm interested in hear, hearing Tony Evans' perspective on it because he has suffered um, partiality. He's, uh, he's, he's in his 70s, I think, now. He's on the radio, man. I mean, he's, he's a preacher that's in demand, writing books. But 50 years ago, Ralph, when he was trying to get on the radio, radio stations are like, uh, no. Well, why not? Well, we can't have a black guy doing a show on the radio. That's, <laughs> there'd be too many white people to get upset about that. Tony Evans actually experienced that. So, so I'm interested in hearing what Tony Evans says about this. I'm, I'm interested in hearing what Abraham Hamilton III, uh, Miki Addison, I mentioned her just a moment ago, uh, to, to, to a lesser degree, I hate to even mention his name uh, because I don't agree with some of the other things he promotes, but uh, Vadi Bakum uh, and Samuel Say. Samuel Say is, uh, is an African immigrant uh, that lives in Canada. But, uh, but I'm doing the research, so I think they've got something. All right, now, quickly. What I want to say to you tonight about these solutions, God has a solution for the problem of partiality, but the world has one. The very first thing I'll say about CT and intersectionality is that it come, it's fruit that comes from a poison tree. One of the great big problems with it. The Southern Baptist right now, in which we're not Southern Baptist, people think we're Southern Baptist. I wonder why. Yeah, it's because we're Baptist and I'm from the South, but, but we're not Southern Baptist. Um, and uh, boy, and I'm glad of that these days. Uh, but uh, but, but, but they have voted to say, well, no, we're not embracing all of the Mark side of it, but there's, there's, there's things we're bringing in because we need this to help us sort through these issues. And again, I'd submit to you, we do not need that to sort through these issues. We have the Word of God. But to the extent where it goes, its origin. All right. Um, real quickly tonight, socialism, communism, and fascism to varying degrees, are all Marxist. At the core of Marxism, to make a long story short, or to make a longer story shorter, is dividing people into tribes, into groups, into divisions. Marx would call it the proletariat, the worker, versus the bourgeoisie. The elites with no middle class, just the elites, the poor, the working class. So they divide them, and Marxism then creates conflict. we got a battle between these two. And they want the proletariat to be able to overthrow the upper... By the way, it would blow your mind if you realized how much of our vernacular is borrowed from Marxism and socialism. Middle class, upper class, lower class, for instance. But that's the idea. It's dividing it. And, and, and the ultimate goal for Karl Marx, of course, is just total chaos so that the government can then step in. And, uh, and the government becomes Lord or God in a sense. Um, now, enter in a number of years later a, a, uh, a Marxist by the name of George Lukacs. And I'll just try to give this real quick because this leads up to, again, this is leading up to something that I'm telling you that if our kids aren't having to encounter it in, in their school where they're at right now, 
uh, if, if they go to college, it's something they're going to be hearing about. Okay, and it's something that we're going to continue to hear about. So as, as a pastor, I believe it's my job to address this, this philosophy, this vain deceit, this knowledge that's trying to exalt itself against the knowledge of God. George Lukacs, going all the way back to 1917, you might remember him, Eric. Um, okay, Melanie's booing me on that one, Eric. She's on your side. Uh, but then in 1917, in Bolshevik Hungary, he was the equivalent, and I'm going to give this kind of fast, so just bear with me. Uh, he was the equivalent of the Secretary of Education for the Communist Party in, uh, or the Bolsheviks. It was before it was really, uh, which is, you know, became the communists. But anyway, he was in charge of indoctrinating children. He was kind of like the Secretary of Education. Um, and he was in charge. What, what he thought he could do is start with the kids, try to steal the culture from society. That's what communism tries to do. He showed he would take little kids and he would have, he would have graphic uh, sexual talks and then he would show to the kids uh, graphic pornographic uh, images. Uh, pornographic images uh, from a very early age. And he was trying to pervert and rob the purity of the kids. And what he was trying to do was to send those kids home and this sounds really familiar, but he would then, then to send those kids home and basically in rebellion against the, uh, the things that they had been taught from their, uh, in that area, mostly Christian parents. So they were teaching kids to reject the teaching of their Christian parents. He actually, listen, he called this himself, he called this cultural terrorism. Cultural terrorism, that's what he called it himself. Now... After World War I, Bolshevik Hungary fell, and Lukacs fled to Germany, and soon began to think of ways to revamp classical Marxism. Uh, classical Marxism, again, focused mostly on the economy. Uh, the ought ought to be the is, and this is where it can be so appealing to young people. Uh, and, you know, this is why it appeals, because it's saying, you know what, everybody should have equal. There shouldn't be all these rich people. And then all these poor people over there. Man, everybody should be, should, be, should be able to share. And what's this guy doing over here with a billion dollars? He should be able to give that here. And we need to redistribute the wealth uh, and all these things, all Marxist ideas. Uh, but, 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 but that didn't work because what they thought was going to happen in World War I, they thought that leading up to that, they thought that they could get the working class fired up and want to overthrow their governments. That get them angry enough, disenfranchised enough. But it failed because instead of these people getting mad enough to want to overthrow their governments, these people actually rose up and said, you know what, nah, our country's not great, but I still love my country. They were nationalists. Uh, they said, we still love our country, and so we're going to fight for our country. World War I, we're going to fight for our country. And so what they thought was, they thought that was going to turn, turn Europe upside down for communism, but it didn't. So they went to uh, Frankfurt, Germany, and the Frankfurt uh, Institute to try to revamp classic uh, Marxism, which failed to produce the classic warfare. I mentioned that. Okay, uh, one of the big things, one of the big things that really became a fly in the ointment, if you will, to this Marxist movement was the fact that there was a city that was set on a hill, to use the words of Ronald Reagan, 
borrowed from Jesus Christ, but Ronald Reagan was talking about America. There was a city set on a hill that gave hope to people, to the people of Europe and the world. This served as a major nuisance to in, accompl- in accomplishing their evil goal. People who believed, they believed all throughout Europe, they believed that given a chance, if they just had liberty like we had in the United States, if we just had democracy, if we just had capitalism, they thought, you know what, our country can succeed. We can be like America. And so with that, that means that all of a sudden, the people across are clamoring for freedom inspired by America's great light. So this put America squarely in the crosshairs of Marxism. Now, at the Frankfurt School, which is where um, Lou Cox that I mentioned earlier was at, the Frankfurt School, which is also called the Institute for Social Research, in 1923, Lou Cox helped develop a new tactic for social Marxism. So from classical Marxism or classic Marxism to social Marxism. In the 1930s, Lukacs, along with others from the Frankfurt School, came to America. They found a home at Columbia University in New York. And from here, the Marxists developed what's known as critical theory. I was trying to get all up to that, okay? So I just covered quite a few decades there. Um, to develop something called critical theory in the 1930s. Critical theory then focused on undermining and destroying any institution that got in the way of their goal. Again, a kind of cultural terrorism. And it's just like what it sounds. They just begin to criticize every American institution that standed for and represented, especially those things that represented or stemmed from our Judeo-Christian faith. So, a few of the things, for instance. Here are some things that became targeted. Now, see if you can think about this from the early 1900s to today. Okay, here's some of the things that fell in the crosshairs. For one thing, the home, the nuclear family. You know, that, that, became, that was one of the ways, if you'll remember early on, that Black Lives, the Black Lives Matter movement was exposed because when they released their goals and objectives, among those was that they were against the nuclear family. Now, when I first heard that statement, I said, I think I could be, our house could sometimes be called nuclear, I suppose. But, um, but, that, but a nuclear family, of course, just means a traditional family. A husband, a, a husband in the home, married to his wife, children there together. But that's one of the things that came out is they were against that because it's a Marxist uh, organization. That's where it comes from. That's, that's the... The, the, the origin, the genesis of it, okay? But the home became something that began to be attacked. Democracy. Self-evident truth. See, our, our country was founded in what was called natural law. Now, natural law can almost sound a little bit humanistic. Uh, but natural law just simply means that it's natural. We understand that we were created by God. We yearn for freedom since God is our creator, Natural law then teaches us that if He's the Creator, it only stands to reason that He's the one in charge of us. No man can be, can be in charge of another man as far as like ownership and so forth. But uh, so for, uh, also self-evident truth, freedom of speech. 
Freedom of speech. You remember freedom of speech? God forbid, but I hope, I hope it won't be. Was it Ronald Reagan that said that we're just one, uh, one generation away from freedom? And I believe he made the statement of that, that there could come a day that we'll be, uh, have our grandkids sitting on our lap telling them what freedom was like. Tell them what it was like to live in a free country. Because freedom of speech is under attack. How do we know that? There's a big old C word that, I guess it's a double C word, isn't it? Uh, that, that'll get you on the freedom of speech part. What's it called? Cancel culture. Son, you're you going to get your rear end canceled, all right? Uh, so cancel culture. But so freedom of speech. How about this one? Biblical sexuality. Biblical sexuality is another thing they set their sights on. Male leadership. It's disturbing when you start seeing that, that literally the people that are my age, we actually grew up with a lot of these things having influenced the world that we grew up in in a large way. Uh, in other words, they were pretty successful in their pursuits, sad to say. But here's what they did, is they caught all these things. So uh, critical uh, theory labeled all of these as oppressive. Oppressive. By the way, it sounds a lot like the Garden of Eden to me. Oh, God said you can't take of that tree? God said you can't take of that fruit? See, God's trying to keep something some. He knows when you take of it, you're going to be like God's. And remember what I told you earlier? Intersectionality can make you like a God. Because you will have a knowledge that no one else is able to have. And you say, well, that's, that's overstating that. Uh, well, I believe the principles are there. Okay. Now, so in 1950, things are progressing. 1950, the authoritarian personality was published at UC Berkeley in 1950. Can you imagine anything leftist or Marxist coming out of UC Berkeley? That's hard to imagine. Um, but uh, some of the things they did in this, this, uh, this article, this book, uh, the, the, author, the Authoritarian Personality, they redefined biblical American views. Number two, they attacked gender roles of women... All of a sudden, there's no pride in being a mother and in being a wife. There's no pride in fulfilling uh, uh, these wonderful privileges and God-given privileges that you have. There's no, no more of that. They begin to attack the gender roles of women. They classified sexual mores, you know, the morality. They begin to classify sexual mores as oppressive. This is in 1950, UC Berkeley. Give them about 15 years or so. And what do you have? The sexual revolution. All come from communism. It all come from critical theory. It all come from Marx. And, and, and on this little timeline, I'm trying to run you across as quickly as I can. This all leads up to where we are today. That's critical theory, all right, uh, in general. Now, uh, critical theory began to take a critical look at America institutions and begin to classify them as, again, the oppressor. The oppressor. Uh, because Marxism must have an oppressor. Marxism must have an oppressed. They've got to have that. They've got to have that division. All right, now, CRTI was developed in 1989 by Kimberly Crenshaw and Derek Bell, both professors, uh, both uh, brilliant academically in their own right, but it began as a legal framework which asserted that all of America's legal institutions 
the justice system, etc., are all inescapably racist. And that term inescapably is really important. Inescapably racist. There is therefore no justice, no help for a black man or woman in this country. Now, it has since spread to mean that America... That was 1989. I mean, I doubt many of you knew about critical race theory in 1989. It was mostly just an academic thing. It's been been taught in colleges since then, uh, but it's not been something that's been in pop culture so much. Well, I should back up. The results of it are in pop culture, but the, the, but the, the wording wasn't. But it, it, it's, it's since then spread to mean that America as a whole as founded, is racist. Racist racist individuals who start off as oppressors, by the way, will always be oppressors. So if you're one of the oppressors, you'll always be an oppressor. If you're one of the oppressed, you will always be one of the oppressed. Now, let's bring this down to some of the uproar, okay? Have you seen or noticed anything going on in Virginia? These parents that are, uh, they were called uh, by certain government officials terrorists, uh, domestic terrorists for standing up for their kids. And, you know, of course, uh, they made a big food pile when they come out and spoke and said, hey, we don't believe that, uh, 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 that, that parents should have any say or be able to address school board members in this, uh, you know, about what their kids are being taught. That should be left to the state, the government, which again, going back, we're talking about Marxism again. But they stood up because of this. Because let's put it down in a really, really practical way. Here's literally what goes on today in America. You take, I think about Anna. Uh, just, just think about Anna. How old are you, Anna? Six? Five? Can you imagine, though, taking Anna and, or a kid her age? Just think about two little boys, Anna's age. We sit them right down here on the front row, okay? We got a white kid and we got a black kid. We look at the, the, the black kid under critical race theory as thought, you are oppressed, you are a victim, you will always be that. Looks over at the white kid and says, you are an oppressor. You will always be an oppressor. You are racist. Your mom and dad are racist. You can't go anywhere because you're oppressed. And you're the one holding him back. It's no wonder parents begin to get upset. And let me tell you something. When it comes to, you know, these kids going to school, I'm telling you, any of these kids that's sitting up here on these rows, any of them that go to college, uh, unless there's a few they could go to to where they would not be introduced to this, but the odds are if they go to a secular college, they're going to be introduced to some of these principles. Um, And and I I told Ryan earlier, I mean, some of you may remember there was teachers uh, in a school district in Iowa just a couple years ago, if I remember correctly, uh, that basically they were having to sign and admit that they were racist. And I'll say more about that in just a moment. I'm I'm bringing this down to a close, believe it or not. Uh, But basically, okay, so critical race theory, what it teaches is, is that race is a socially, was socially constructed by white people to maintain the interest of white people. That a white person cannot do anything, by the way, can't even speak on these issues because remember, I don't have those intersections. I have an experience. I'm an oppressor. And by what their standards are, I'll always be that. I have no right to speak because I have no knowledge according to what they say. But we're going to see how that goes against what God says. But uh, here we are. 
I mean, uh, so anything that a white person has ever done as far as they're concerned in regards to, uh, you know, I think about the abolitionists and so forth. Every one of them, it was all just racist. Because the only reason a white person could ever try to help a black person is just for it to benefit them. That's what they teach. That's the teaching of what this theory is. Um, by the way, by the way, it, I, I can't say everything there is to say, and you're hoping, please, God, don't. Uh, okay, but uh, that th there's an interesting thing. I hope that you'll listen to some of the inconsistencies of these things. What we're talking about is racism so that we can overcome racism. Racism to overcome racism. Okay, um, Okay, so race is socially constructed by white people in America to maintain the interest of white people. We are not and can never be Never be post-racial. We cannot, it is impossible to move beyond race in our country, according to their teaching. Okay? Uh, U.S. laws are biased against people of color. Now, this introduces, I mentioned it earlier, but intersectionality, and uh, I'm trying to quit here. I'm trying to come, good, come to a good spot. But, uh, again, I, I explained a little bit about intersectionality, you know, being oppressed in ways... Uh, Basically, it, it expands, and it's a plus, okay? So, uh, if there, if, number one, if you say you're a woman, so that gives you, we're going to do math here now, woman, that's a plus as far as making you oppressed. And understand that the more oppressed you are, the better off you are. Because the, 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 the more oppressed you are, the more knowledge and authority you have, and therefore you have the most power to be able to overthrow the oppressor. And, be, and you're basically becoming the oppressed. So this adds up. Um, okay, so it goes to uh, intersectionality, skin color. If you threw LGBTQ plus in there, add that up, especially if you've got a couple of those. Uh, basically, only your level of intersecting classifications determine how oppressed you are, which determines, listen to this terminology, voice. We need more voices. We need more minority voices. That's one of, that's, that's speak. Because it's saying we need to hear the knowledge of those that are oppressed. And again, understand something. I, I shared earlier. There is knowledge to be said from oppressed peoples. Uh, but the, but, but the, but the, more, the most oppressed person is given power, as I mentioned already. Okay. Uh, da, 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 da. It's worth noting that CRT and intersectionality have morphed since uh, it began in 1989. CRTI structures society according to levels of oppression. It asserts that those who are the most oppressed have a better vantage point from which to critique the broken structures around them. CRTI uses its methodology. Here's its methodology, okay? Here's its science, and here's what they call it uses as its methodology a science that is narrative, that is a narrative and a storytelling based. Science that is based on the story different people tell. And you couldn't dare say, well, that can't be so, because God's Word said, no, 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 you can't say that because you don't know anything. You don't know what I can know and what I do know. And so, um, being in Christ, 
brings unity. CRT divides. All right. Here's a couple of problems. I, I, I labeled the message, and this is how I'm going to bring it down, okay? Um, CRT in the Bible. Under CRT, there's no victory in the gospel. There's no forgiveness. See, the Bible says in the book of, I believe it's 1 Corinthians, but it talks about how you were wicked and how you were effeminate and how you were many of these other things. Or I'm sorry, it's condemning those particular sins. And then it gets down and it says, And such were some of you. Such were some of you. In other words, in Christ, there's redemption. See, if you begin as an oppressor, you, uh, by them they say you'll always be the oppressor. But here's the, the, or the victim. There's victim mentality. Man, they're trying to teach that to our kids right now. You're all victims. It's always somebody else's fault. I, but Freud is involved in all this stuff too. But the, the point is just simply this, that there's no victory in the gospel. There's also a perpetual penance. There's a real lose-lose under critical race theory, all right, and intersectionality. There's a real lose-lose. You must confess that you are a racist. Let's go to the Salem witch trials, okay? Basically, if you're a white person, you must admit that you're racist in order to prevent you to keep being burned at the stake. Now, if you do not admit that you're a racist, and by the way, there are professors from Christian universities going on public meet on social media doing videos saying, I am a racist and I will always be a racist. Because they're agreeing with these principles. Uh, so you either admit that, but if you don't confess that you're a racist, it's because of your white fragility. You cannot admit it uh, that you're a racist. But you are, no matter what you say. In Christ, we're all made one. In CRTI, we're all made separate. Men, women, this race, that race, this color, that color, this neighborhood, that neighborhood. Christ says, no, 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 no. we're all one. We're all one. We're together. We're one in Christ. Um, in, uh, in CRT, there's privilege groups. And again, I, I mentioned earlier about how that, that they literally say, uh, by, by CRT, understand something, I have zero right to be up here talking about this because I'm not in the know. How could I know? Well, I'll tell you how I can know. Because Jesus said, ye shall know the truth. The truth. He said, well, you don't know my truth. You don't have a truth. There's the truth. You will know the truth and the truth. Jesus said, I know it. RT says, you can't know it. Who am I going to believe? There's churches, there's pastors, there's universities lining up and saying, you're right, we can't know. You know, white guilt, white privilege and the whole thing. <laughs> I wish you could have grown up where I grew up at. Uh, you know, the Bible says this, Psalm 119, verse 130, the entrance of thy words giveth light, it giveth understanding to the simple. You can know. What truth is, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for, construction in, for instruction in righteousness. CRT says that portions of the Bible are disqualified because it excludes women and oppressed people of color. Can the Bible, there, there's again, these are people at Christian universities, professors. One was an assistant pastor, I think. 
saying, I don't think, I'm not sure that we can trust all the Bible. Because it didn't, there's not enough women involved in the interpretation. There's not enough people of color involved in the interpretation. But here's what the Bible says. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. It don't matter what men were doing it. God was the one giving us the Bible. What I just mean to say tonight is that God has given us the framework tonight. Um... I'm going to try to close by just saying this. Uh, What has Athens to do with Jerusalem? That was asked by Tertullian in the second century, I believe it was, uh, of the church. In other words, it was the church. They They were trying to incorporate Greek ideals and Greek philosophies. What has Athens to do with Jerusalem? I'm going to say these things in closing. I was expecting a big amen. God's not colorblind. We don't need this colorblind business. Can I just say that? How many of you just love going through a botanical garden in the spring and saying, I'm glad these are all the same. I'm glad I don't see no color. Love see no color. A fool. God made those colors. What are you talking about colorblind? God made color. God made people different. God made made us diverse. God's not colorblind. Let me tell you. In Revelation 5 and Revelation 7, John says, I saw people from every tribe and nation. Well, now I knew there were a tribe and nation. I mean, listen, he doesn't want us, God's not colorblind, he don't want us to be colorblind. And by the way, I, t- I told you that, that my study and my sources tonight, uh, among them, but I can remember uh, Dr. Alveda King, uh, I got to spend some time with her this, this summer. Uh, but she's the, the niece or great niece of uh, Martin Luther King Jr. But she, she was speaking and she just said, don't come up to me and say I'm colorblind. She says, I'm not. She says, don't be, you know, let, why can't we just be beautiful the way that God made us? Right? God's the one that made us that way. All right. How many of you like the orchestra? <laughs> All right, I do too. Uh, just, just think about it. You ever hear an orchestra warming up? It's just a lot of discord and noise. It's kind of, you know, and over here, boom, boom, and you know, all this. All right? Just noise. But all of a sudden, a conductor comes out. And then he begins to orchestrate. But right before that, everything gets silent, and now that which was a noise becomes a harmonious song. But now, the instruments are not all the same. There's maybe a uh, saxophone, maybe a violin. There's a piano. I'm getting this illustration from somebody else. I know these are different pieces. But, but all the, this is Tony Evans, by the way. Uh, all the instruments were as different uh, then as they were before they were, when they were warming up. But the difference is the conductor has come out. And once the conductor is coming out, he's controlling what the instruments are playing. Even though the instruments are still different, they're playing His song. See, what we've got is black, red, yellow, white, playing their own songs today. But, and I'm telling you, we're playing the song that the world wants to play, where people are fussing and cussing and fighting. But in Jesus Christ, we're playing His song. 
you, You can use your own racial instrument, so to speak, as long as you're playing his song. It's okay to be white. It's okay to be black. It's okay to be whatever color or ethnicity or whatever. It's okay. Because God's the one who made us this way. And by the way, literally, they're trying to get me to apologize for the way that God made me. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. I mean, listen. And so, so, so there's a beautiful song when we are following the conductor. But when race, when somebody's race trumps God's word, race becomes an idol to people. And so that's, that's a 12-week uh, class of stuff that could have been talked about in just uh, one night, okay? So, but what we see there, folks, and I appreciate your patience, is that God has an answer. No, this world's not right. No, this world still needs fixing. But that's what He's going to do, amen? And I'm telling you... Uh, I didn't mention this earlier, but I'll say it in closing. Did I say closing already? Do you know how much Christianity revolutionized the world? This New Testament right here. I want you to go find, I want you to go fi- find where women were at before the New Testament. And I want you to find places where what happened to women when Christian New Testament Christianity, I'm not talking about Roman Catholicism, but New Testament Christianity came in. They were elevated. They were even elevated before, when, before Jesus was born. Elizabeth and Mary. The angel showed up and talked to some poor shepherds. Those were people that were outcast. Right away, the gospel. Jesus started talking to people that weren't Jews, people of different colors. Didn't matter. The gospel went on. You study history. You go find out where the Bible went. And you'll go find where all of a sudden human life mattered. People quit just throwing their kids out like trash when they didn't want them. We're getting back to that again. But that's what they did under the influence of, the New, of New Testament Christianity. Okay? New Testament Christianity elevated each person because in Christ we are all one. Slaves, slaves and landowners became brothers in Christ. Slaves, in some cases, were the pastors, the leaders of churches. It went all against the social system because in Christ the system changes. And the problem with the world today is a problem at the heart. And the world needs Christ, amen? But we, but we don't need some Marxist theory or Marxist-based theory in the church of God, or in our country for that matter. We need God, amen? And we need the Word of God. So uh, let's pray. Father, I thank you for the patience of these folks, Lord. I know I went crazy long.